ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, as today we consider heavenly rejoicing on the edge of eternity. Revelation 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were th lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. We've spent a lot of time dealing with the book of Revelation. And I don't know about you, but this book has been speaking to our hearts as we enjoy this study. Now, the message brings us to the halfway point of the book of Revelation, and it also brings us to the end of a very long section that began back in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. In this passage, the seventh trumpet, which it was announced in Revelation 10 and verse 7, is about to sound. When it is sounded, this trumpet will unleash God's final acts of judgments upon the earth. The seventh trumpet will bring about a devastating wave of judgment. It will fulfill the ancient prophecies of Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 2 of that chapter says, A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. When it sounds, the seven bowl judgments are revealed, and these bowls contain the final awesome awful judgments of God according to Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. The sound of the seventh trumpet alerts the world that King Jesus is about to reclaim everything that belongs to him. 
Now the seventh trumpet is sounded here in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1. But the event it brings to pass is not recorded until we get to Revelation chapter 15. Now in chapters 12 through 14, these are actually a retelling of the tribulation story from a different perspective. In Revelation chapter 6 through 11, the focus has been on the Lord Jesus and we've learned about the process he uses to take possession of this earth. Revelation chapters 12 through 14 takes the focus off the Lord and places it on the Antichrist. We have been observing the tribulation from God's perspective. For the next several chapters, we're going to observe this awful period of time from Satan's perspective. Now, this passage takes us forward in time to the very edge of eternity. We're transported ahead to the end of the age to a time when Jesus has taken possession of the world and judged sin and sinners. And as we look ahead to that glorious day, we find heaven in a state of rejoicing. Now, today we want to look at these verses and by virtue in heaven itself. In doing so, we are allowed to witness heaven's reaction to the reign of the Lord Jesus. And I want to show you the great reasons why we See worship, praise, and excitement in heaven as time comes to an end as we know it. Now the words, great voices here, translates the Greek word mega and phone. We get the word megaphone from these verses, or these words rather, and it refers to shouting, it refers to loud speech. This is a picture of loud, vigorous praise in glory in verses 15 and 16. Now, in verses 7, 16 and 17, I would show you that there is rejoicing over a ruler. There's rejoicing over a ruler. Heaven rejoices because God and his son, Jesus, have taken possession of a world that was lost to sin and Satan thousands of years ago. Verse 15, we see the scope of his kingdom. Kingdoms of this world. In the Greek, the word kingdoms is singular. There are many rulers, leaders, kings, and presidents in this world today, but there is but one true kingdom. Men think they rule this world, but in reality, Satan rules the world today. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he is called the God, little g, of course, the God of this world. The Lord Jesus called him the prince of this world three times in John's gospel in John chapter 12 and verse 31, John chapter 14 and verse 30, and John chapter 16 and verse 11. Now the truth of Satan's rule can be seen in the hatred that is being leveled against Jesus Christ and his gospel in this world. People have absolutely no reason to hate Christ, to hate Jesus. They do so because they are led by Satan. He is the ruler of this world today. And I praise God that his kingdom is to be short-lived. Jesus Christ will come in glory and power and assume his rightful place as King, Lord, and God of this world. And there is just one rightful king. And one day, the whole world will bow at his feet and worship him according to Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. Now in verse 15, I would show you the span of his kingdom. The Bible says that he shall rule forever and ever. 
Jesus will not be like a human ruler. All human rulers eventually reach the end of their reign. They die or are deposed or replaced by another, but not Jesus. He will reign eternally. And the Bible says in Psalm 145 in verse 13, Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Currently, right now, in the houses of Senate and House of the United States Congress, the Democrats hold the reins of power. It looks like they're going to lose their power, at least in the House of Representatives. And we trust across the board. There's going to be a lot of sad people after the election because their side lost. Those who give their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ need never fear that he will ever be overthrown or voted out. He is and ever will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And verse 17, we see the strength of his kingdom. God is called Almighty. The Bible says, Thou hast taken to thy great power, and thou hast reigned. Every human kingdom fails because it is built on the limited power of men. God's kingdom is established on one who holds all power. God says in Matthew 28, verse 18, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. That's Jesus Christ speaking himself. He will never be overcome by an enemy, for he has placed all his foes under his feet, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. He will never be deposed by any rival, for he has no rivals, according to Psalm 86 and verse 10. We also see in the next few verses the stability of his kingdom, which art and wast and art to come. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He has always reigned. Now it may look like Satan has his hands on the wheel in the world today. It may look like he's in control. Even Satan is a servant of Almighty God and he operates within a limited sphere of activity. He does only that which God allows him to do, and his activity is limited by the providence, the sovereignty, the purposes, and the power of God. My friend, Satan even had to get permission to attack Job in Job chapters 1 and 2. Satan is a finite, limited, created being. He must always yield to the one who has reigned by eternity past and the one who will always reign forever, and that is God Almighty. And heaven rejoices in this truth. If we really believed it, we would rejoice as well. We would know without a doubt that our God reigns and that he is in absolute control of everything in his universe. Many people want to talk about Good Friday. Many people want to talk about Easter Sunday. But the fact is, a lot of believers are living in Saturday. Saturday was the day when the disciples were down in the dumps, when the ladies that were surrounding Jesus and his ministry were down in the dumps and they were acting defeated. My friend, listen to me. We need to stop living in Saturday and start operating in Sunday. Jesus Christ lives and he reigns and he is God. We also notice the surety of his kingdom. The verb phrase are become is in the proleptic aorist tense. 
This tense is used to describe future events that are so certain they can be spoken of as they had as if they've already happened. This tense is used in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 9. Though they ministered 700 years before Jesus, he writes of the sufferings of Jesus as though they had already happened. He was seeing it as it did. People can believe what they will. One day the kingdom of this world will be given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will rule and reign on the throne of this earth forever. No wonder heaven rejoices. We should thank God that we will see this praise because we will be with him if you're born again. You see, he may not be recognized as king of the world today, but he is and should be and can be king of your heart. Now in verse 18, I would also show you there is rejoicing over a reward. This world hates Jesus Christ and demonstrates that hatred against him when he comes to reign. And this verse looks ahead to that day when the armies of the world will gather themselves together to fight against the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming, Revelation 16 and verse 14. Now, the hatred of the world is clear to see in our day, our day like any other time. Everywhere you look, this world is coming apart. They're seeking to eradicate the image of God, the fact that we're created in his image. They're seeking to uh, deify themselves. They're seeking to uh, worship themselves and their acts of lunacy and delusion and filth. There's trying to eradicate the name of Christ and anything to do with him from the public arena. But they will not bow to him. Their hatred is expressed in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. There we see that they will rise up against him and and attempt to conquer our Lord. But Psalm 2, verses 4 through 9 tells us that God will have the final say in the matter. And in the end, lost sinners will be rewarded for their rejection of Jesus Christ by having to face him in judgment. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Now, God will have the final word, and all lost sinners will receive the due reward of their sins. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. Everything has a wage. Sin has a wage. And God will seek to pay off that debt, that wage, if you will, to the sinner. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. Now what a tragedy since they could have been saved if they had only come to him. Now, we may wonder about the saints in heaven rejoicing over the punishment of sinners. It bothers us when we see scenes like that. After all, we do not want to see anyone go to hell. We want all people to be saved. Well, what we can say to that is when we arrive in heaven, we're going to possess a mind just like that of the Lord Jesus We're going to think like he thinks, and we'll agree with his plan to judge all those who reject him. There's nothing else left for him to do. He has extended patience. He has extended mercy. He has gone above and beyond anything humanly possible 
to offer salvation, and he has withheld his judgment, and now he has nothing left to do but to pass judgment on those who reject Jesus Christ, his message of salvation. And when he pronounces their sentence, we will say amen. Let it be. But then the saints will be rewarded. Now, while the lost sinners will face the Lord in judgment, faithful believers will be honored for their devotion to him. He will reward his servants, the Bible says prophets. He's going to reward his prophets, his servants. Those who have faithfully preached his word will be rewarded by the Lord one day. And he'll also reward his saints. The Bible says, them that fear thy name great and small. One day, every act of devotion to Christ will be rewarded by him. Nothing was so small that he missed it. He saw every sacrifice. He saw every labor of love, every gift, every deed, which was done in his name. And he will reward all those who faithfully serve him. Even something so small as a cup of cold water given in his name will be rewarded someday, according to Mark 9 and verse 41. But also in verse 19, I'd point out, there is rejoicing over a reality. This verse almost seems out of place in this chapter. It just doesn't seem to fit in with the scene of rejoicing in heaven. But I'd point out this verse is important. The mention of the temple places us back on Jewish ground. You see, the church does not have a temple. We are the temple. This verse contains two great realities that I want to touch on just for a second. Number one, the reality of access. The open temple and the vision of the ark serve to remind us that in heaven we will have access to our Lord. We will see him. We'll be able to worship him. There'll be no veil to separate us from him. There'll be no flesh to separate us from him. There will be nothing to keep us away from him in that day. We will have free, unfettered access to the God of glory, according to Revelation 22, 3 and 4. Then, secondly, I would give you the reality of affirmation. The mention of the ark here places us squarely on Jewish ground. For you see, for the Jew, the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God, the communion of God, and the redemption of God. And here the Jews are reminded that God is not finished with them. He will complete his plan for Israel, and he will keep his covenants with the seed of Abraham. Now, in the Bible, there are five different names for the Ark of the Covenant that are mentioned. These five names reveal that God, exactly what God is doing in these verses. Now, we see the first mention of it, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 33. The ancient Ark contained the law. And in these verses, we see a world that has transgressed God's law. And the world has angered the Lord, and he has come down to judge them. In Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22, 
It's called the Ark of the Testimony. The Ark testified to God's holiness and man's sinfulness. God is still holy. Man is still a sinner. And as a sinner, man will be judged by a holy God. Thirdly, in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 3, it was called the Ark of God. The Ark was the only visible throne of God on the earth. This vision of the Ark reminds everyone that God is still sovereign. He is still in charge. He is still on the throne. Fourth, in Psalm 132 and verse 8, it's called the Ark of Strength. It was called this because of the miracles and great works associated with it. And we're reminded here that God is still Almighty God, and He still reigns in power. Five, in Second Chronicles 35 and verse 3, it was called the Holy Ark. It was called the Holy Ark because it is where God dwelt. This vision of the ark reminds us that God is still alive. He's still well. Verse 19 closes with premonitions of impending disasters. More horrors. Worse horrors than those that we have seen thus far on the horizon. We're at the halfway point of the book of Revelation and the halfway point of the tribulation. We've seen things from God's perspective. Now we're going to see things a bit from Satan's perspective. These verses have literally taken us to the very edge of eternity. The question that must be faced today is which group is mentioned in verse 18 are you a part of? Are you a part of that group that will be doomed and damned to hell? Are you lost? If you are, you need to know that the wrath of God already abides on your life. John 3, 36, John 3 and verse 18, Ephesians 2 and verse 3, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God literally already abides on your life. That should shake you. You also need to know that you do not have to stay in that condition for one more minute. My friend, if you'll come to Christ, he will save you by his grace and he will make your life anew. Come to him if he's calling to you. If you're a part of that group that will be rewarded and rejoicing one day, then you praise God. You ought to bow before him and tell him how thankful you are that he saved you. If you're lost today, you may be here for the tribulation, and you may not. But think about this. You're one heartbeat away from eternity. You ever thought about that? All that has to happen is for your heart to stop, and the moment it stops, your spirit leaves your body, and you're going out into eternity. 
I'm reminded of a story of Washington, D.C. at the depot there is a strange mark on the wall. And that mark is there because many years ago, President James Garfield was in that depot. An assassin walked in, saw the president, and fired a shot. The shot went through President Garfield, killing him, and the bullet hit the wall and left a mark, and that mark is still there. It identifies the place where President Garfield stepped from one place here on this earth from time into eternity. Dear friend, for every one of us, somewhere on this earth there's a mark. It may be on a deathbed in a hospital somewhere. It may be on an interstate highway where an accident will occur. There's some point in time where your time will cease and your eternity will begin. If you come to the place where your mark is located today, how would it be with your soul? Are you born again? Do you know that you know that you're born again? Come to Christ. And you can be saved forever. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.